Hi, and welcome to another episode of Freight to the Point. I'm Anne-Sophie Fribault, Zen Cargo's VP of Ocean Procurement. And today we've invited Risha Fatal back on again to talk about what's happened in the ocean market in the past months and what we need to look out for in the months of February. Richard works very closely with customers at Zen Cargo to get the best rates and transit times, as well as providing bespoke rate consultations. So welcome, Richard. Hi, Anne-Sophie. Thanks so much for having me on. In the last Ocean episode, we talked about the impacts of an early Chinese New Year on shippers, such as the early closure of factories, the effects on rates and capacities through Chinese New Year, and the reversal of China's lockdown policies. So many things have happened in the last months. We've just had an early Chinese New Year, as mentioned before, and IMO 2023 has also started from January this year. So Richard, have we seen an impact so far this year from the IMO regulation? So I think the short answer is no. Uh, we've not seen uh, an impact yet, and I would say that the impact looks to be limited for the time being at least. And if you don't know uh, anything about the IMO 2023, um, it's now effective from the start of the year. And the aim uh, of the regulations, it's an international regulation, which is aimed at reducing emissions from shipping by 40% by 2030 and 70% by 2050. And it is benchmarked off of 2008 levels. And in particular, what it does is it introduces uh, mandatory regulations on carbon emissions for both new and existing ships. And it leverages some energy efficiency indicators to basically set uh, you know, the level of carbon emissions from those vessels. And older tonnage um, really struggly, struggles to comply with the regulation. So older, older vessels, uh, these vessels need to be retrofitted in order to get up to scratch. Um, whereas newer vessels, particularly those running dual fuel and LNG, as well as the new kind of uh, methanol uh, vessels, are more compliant. What does it mean in terms of capacity, Richard? Yeah, so th th that's the interesting point. So, you know, you, you start to think about, you know, what does it actually mean? Well, some vessels need to get taken off of the market. So they need to effectively, uh, you know, go into docks and be uh, retrofitted, which takes a period of time to have uh, new adjustments and changes made to the ship in order to ensure that they're compliant. So that might absorb some capacity, right? Yes. And the other way in which capacity gets absorbed is that you can slow down vessels. And by slowing down vessels, you reduce the carbon emissions. But you need to add one more ship to the loop, I guess, if you slow down this. Exactly. So so, so a, a lot of commentators have been trying to calculate, okay, well, what is the real effective impact of uh, IMO regulations? And from speaking to shipping lines and understanding their strategies, what we've understood is, as an example, if you take Asia Europe, slowing down the vessels effectively means a 12-week turn of the vessels from Asia into Europe around the various ports and then back out to Asia becomes 13 weeks. And that increase from 12 weeks to 13 weeks is equivalent to a 7% reduction in capacity. So with that said, you know, we, the question becomes, well, you know, is that going to really have an impact on the market? And what we know is that there's at least a 10% increase in capacity that's coming into the market this year. And with that combined with the increase in effective capacity because of the reduction in, in port congestion that we've spoken to about a number of times before and a reduction in the demand, we don't really see the IMO having an impact on the balance between supply and demand. That could have a more impact next year, right? 
with the amount of capacity coming in. Yeah, so later in the year, I think it could start to have an impact. And then there's a question of, you know, what the impact is next year. And there's also, you know, it's also interesting to bear in mind the relative impact because it will have a relatively different impact to different carriers who have a different fleet. So it's going to be exciting to kind of watch this space on the IMO. But I would say for now, it's not something that I would be overly concerned with. Another subject then, in recent news, we've heard that the 2M alliance, MSC and Maersk, have announced a split. It is expected that the alliance will remain until January 2025. How do you think this will uh, impact the, the, the shippers and, uh, and the other carriers? So, uh, I mean, for those who don't know, the 2M alliance is an alliance between the two largest uh, carriers in the world, Maersk and MSC, and they effectively were working together and will continue to do so until the end of the alliance uh, on sharing vessel capacity um, so that they can offer slots on each other's vessels in order to be able to offer a higher frequency of services from the various ports that they move to and from around the world. So um, it does yield sort of more convenience to the customer. The reality is that, um, you know, I think there's going to be a uh, very uh, sort of interesting and different effect for each of Maersk and MSC, uh, really based on their differing strategies. So MSC's uh, kind of clear strategy through the COVID period has been to grow its fleet, and it's had one of the biggest uh, growths in uh, fleet uh, acquisition and also in new builds over the full COVID period. And their fleet is set to increase in size substantially over the next couple of years. Maersk, in the meantime, have not been investing in the same way in their capacity. Instead, they've been quite focused on building out their logistics and supply chain capabilities. And that will have an impact on their strategies going forward. And I think it's probably more likely that Maersk looks for um, a new partner who they would slot share on in order to have or a new combination of partners that they would slot share on in order to be able to offer a you know a broader regularity of service. Whereas MSC are more likely to be in a position with the new builds that they have coming on to perhaps go into some slot sharing agreements on key lanes, but perhaps not uh, engage in a more broad slot sharing uh, carrier agreement. So what I think that means is that you know there can really be ripple effects across the rest of the alliances and broader impact for the market. Yeah, yeah, and that might uh, reshape uh, the landscape, or do you think that it will reshape the uh, frequency of sailings? Uh, because it, it, as you said, it might have some uh, effect on the on the other alliances, on the other shipping lines. Well, I, I think it allows all the shipping lines to look at their network, to look at the efficiency of the way in which they're working, to look at their port relationships and port agreements, whether they own ports or uh, you know they have contractual relationships with different ports, and to see what suits them best and what suits their customer base uh, the best. And that could, uh, as you say, you know, have real impacts in terms of you know new alliances being formed or changes in the alliances. And what that means for shippers is, you know, it might mean that there are new services that pop up that might, you know, be very convenient for them. More options for customers. It might, but it also might mean a reduction in the frequency of sailings because, you know, today on the Asia Europe, as an example, you know, on all of the alliances, you have pretty much a daily departure. Of course, there are blank sailings in the market at the moment that reduce that, but, you know, there's a lot of choice. And what it might do is it might restrict some of that frequency, although it might open up new opportunities for new routes. Exactly. And we've seen recently that Hapagloid has uh, just signed a slot agreement with CMA. So that has cut their, their own service. That's exactly what you say. 
you know, and they are now on the on the CMA vessel, so on another service. So we might see more of this in the coming uh, coming months, probably. A hundred percent. And I think it means that customers at the end of the day have to be a little bit agile in terms of the way they approach the, you know, how they're contracting and uh, they have to approach things with an open mind. That's really interesting, Richard. No? In other news, we've seen also that over 50 sailings have been removed in the first seven weeks of 2023, mainly on the east-west routes. Given that so many blank sailings have been removed this year already, how far do you think carriers will go? Look, I think, you know, the carriers do have one eye on service and they think about, you know, how do I uh, reduce capacity in order to meet effective demand, but still offer some level of service to my customers. But I think on the TP and on the Asia Europe, there's a lot of capacity and there's a high level of frequency. So carriers are able to take out services and still provide, you know, regularly multiple services per week on key routes. And, uh, you know, as such, they felt quite comfortable taking out capacity and at the same time, you know, not dramatically disrupting service to customers, particularly given customers have been experiencing, you know, very elongated lead times, you know, for the last few years. And so, uh, you know, all, all they're effectively doing is kind of uh, reversing some of the uh, improvements that we've seen in the market by taking out this capacity. I think what's What's quite interesting is that for the moment, the capacity reductions have not stemmed the decline in rates. And they can, you know, we continue to see softness both on the Asia Europe and the Trans Pacific markets. And now rippling into some of the other markets that had been stronger, like the transatlantic. So, so I, I would say that I, I would, I would see them continuing to take out some capacity. But on the other hand, we do see, uh, at least from our customer base, an indication that customer inventory levels are now much closer to normal levels. And whilst it takes, you know, quite a bit of time to work through a destocking environment to then go back into the mode of placing orders, have goods become ready and cargo ready to move, that cycle is starting to take hold. So we would anticipate, uh, you know, the effect of this uh, reduction in capacity starting to have some impact on the market over the coming weeks and months as we start to see customers change their behavior. So you're, you're saying that, uh, okay, on one side, due to, due to capacity uh, uh, reduction, uh, uh, we see that uh, rates are, are also dropping. Are you saying that it's a good time for uh, businesses to, to go through tenders, to, to start the, the processes of tenders? I do think so. So I think in any market, you know, you always see overshooting and undershooting. So, you know, when a market has gets into an imbalance, demand is greater than supply, supply is greater than demand. You can really see big swings. And I think we're seeing that now in the freight market. But I do think there's an opportunity uh, to think about kind of stability, stability of both service and rate, and to think about a diversified strategy, bearing in mind that, you know, there can be some disruptions to service in an environment where carriers are blanking. So you may need some diversification in your approach, but I do think it's you know a time to engage uh, with your freight partner and to discuss opportunities to lock in longer validity, to look at renewing rates. Especially because because when you engage, you 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 can get space commitment also from uh, from the partners. Yeah, I mean, that's what I would say. I think, you know, I, I think now it's a time to start thinking about those space commitments from partners because, you know, the market has really loosened up, but it can certainly tighten again once the businesses really start to move into a restocking trend. Okay, very, very well. And uh, so a di diversify rate strategy 
uh, is could be a real benefit considering the present situation we are uh, we are facing now. A hundred percent. I think you know, and I've I've said before, kind of a diversified rate strategy is all about um, understanding the flow of goods, those goods that are super urgent and regular, uh, those goods that uh, you know you might have higher stock levels of and uh, can afford to move a little bit more slowly or will not move at all. And and thinking about a rate strategy for the base base load for the goods that kind of move even volume on a monthly basis with limited seasonality, and then separately, how are you going to manage spikes? And that very much depends on, you know, what your seasonality looks like as a customer and how that compares to the profile of the market. And so, uh, you know, I would, I would definitely encourage you to engage in a conversation with your partner because you can really start to understand, you know, what's the appropriate uh, market strategy for, for my business effectively. And visibility, we all know that it is key for carriers to be able to forecast and to plan their strategy over the, the coming months. Thank you very much, Richard. That was very interesting. Thank you again to our listeners for tuning into this episode of Freight to the Point. Don't forget to like and subscribe to our show. And if you have any feedback on this episode, please do not hesitate to reach out on LinkedIn. But until our next episode, goodbye. <laughs>